met here for the purpose of worship, and certainly worship consists of a lot of things, not the least of which is prayer, so we're going to go to the Lord in silent prayer, and uh, you think about what you want to give to the Lord with the understanding that uh, if you ask amiss, that's okay, because uh, God the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ will make intercession for you and present a perfect prayer to the Father, and uh, He'll implement a perfect plan. So with that said, uh, let's go to the Lord in silent prayer. Let us pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Ken, come and lead us in a song, please.
Kenneth. That is my favorite song. It reminds me of my salvation experience. Uh, as you know, I'm not real sure when I was saved. I'm kind of like Billy Graham's wife, you know. I just know that at some point in time, way back yonder, I had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. But I really didn't understand anything. And uh, since I went to Baylor and Tommy went to Baylor and she was Assembly of God and I was a, a Methodist, we decided to join the Baptist Church. And so I decided I would just uh, find out, first of all, what did the Baptists believe that nobody else believes. And based, <clears throat> best I could tell, it was eternal security. So I said, well, I'm just going to get my Bible and I'm going to find out if they're right or not. So I got a New Testament and I started reading and reading and it was in the seventh chapter of the book of Romans that I found out what the Apostle Paul said about himself. He said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. And uh, there is therefore now no condemnation of them who are in Christ Jesus. And that's where it dawned on me uh, that uh, here was the greatest uh, Bible teacher ever, the man that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, who said of himself, O wretched man that I am, 15 years after he had been, quote, called to teach the Word. So I thought they must be right. It's totally by grace. So years I had spent in vanity and pride, caring not, and my Lord was crucified. So... Uh, from that time on, uh, I knew that I could not come to God any other way than by grace. All that God is free to do for you and for me on the basis of the cross without in any way compromising His integrity. Or as we had a t- teacher here say, you know, G-R-A-C-E, the acronym, God really always causes everything. And uh, that's certainly true. So with that said now, let's go to announcements. We are on Wednesday at 6.30 going to have prayer meeting. And uh, we are going to uh, 
follow that prayer meeting with the Bible study. Uh, we're, we're looking at evolution, uh, godless evolution, and we've already had part one, and now we're going to have part two. So feel free to come if you so choose. And of course, as you know, we have 60 podcasts on the telephone, if you will. And, uh, of course, we have all of our lesson on the, on the, uh, website, westbankbiblechurch.com. So you can feel free to take a look at the Wednesday night service. You can take a look at the today's service, for example. Uh, we have, uh, both the written and the oral on the website. And actually, if you have the Google app, you can also see our uh, website on the telephone. All right, with that, we are high cotton in high cotton as far as technology is concerned, you know. So uh, feel free to exercise your prerogatives. Now, remember, we do have a prayer list over here to our left. And we get that prayer list on Wednesday night and we go over it. And uh, we also go over your family members uh, most often by name and uh, uh, find that to be uh, very, very uh, useful uh, for us to remember one another because the Scripture says pray for one another. And there is a tool. So you can pick you one up and take it with you and uh, use it. Use it at home. Takes takes me about fifteen minutes a day to do it, so it doesn't take long. But all you got to do is call out the name. You don't have to give him a bunch of details. He's the same God that made the universe, uh, and the same God that knows everything. So you call out the name, and he'll uh, he'll get with it and uh, set up a perfect plan. All right. Now, with that said. Uh, uh, Kenneth, why don't you come and lead us in another song? And number 103, Rock of Ages. Let's stand and sing all three verses. <laughs>
Amen. Again, thank you, Kenneth, and thank you all for that fine singing. Uh, now we're going to move to another aspect of worship called giving. And as you know, we have a little different uh, view of giving than many churches. Uh, we don't believe in tithing because that's part of the law. And the scripture, of course, tells us that uh, we're not to get under the law anymore because we're under grace and no longer under law. And of course, uh, uh, we're going to uh, find out what the Bible has to say about New Testament giving by looking at either our website where we have a doctrine of giving that you can look at and uh, find out all that the Bible has to say about giving. And there are actually two chapters in the New Testament that are virtually devoted to New Testament giving. And that's 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And I have chosen two verses, one from each chapter, that I think summarize what we need to know about New Testament giving. Because we have a moment of silent prayer here. And we have two plates, one here, one there, one at the back. And... uh, We uh, certainly urge you to exercise your prerogative and give. And uh, giving then has to be defined. And I'm going to read you 2 Corinthians 8, 12, where it says, If there first be a willing mind, it is accepted according to what a man has, not according to that he hath not. And so that uh, tells you that if you have want to give, then uh, you can uh, indeed uh, give in the privacy of your mind. So when we have a moment of silent prayer, you can think about giving. And uh, if you want to give, you gave. Uh, that's the willing mind. Now, Second Corinthians 9, 7, as we go to the ninth chapter. Every man according as he purpose in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. So you ought not give if you have been blessed and you have something to give if you can't do it cheerfully. In other words, those are the two principles that I have discerned as uh, uh, important for us to take a look at every uh, service at the 11 o'clock hour. So in the event you want to give, you can give. And that's why we're going to go to the Lord now in silent prayer. And you think about giving, and uh, again, if you want to give, you gave. So let us pray. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of letting us worship. Thank you for the privilege of giving. And I would ask, therefore, a very special blessing upon both the gift 
and the giver. Now guide us and direct us as we use 1 John 1, 9 as may or may not be necessary and thus are filled with the Spirit and teachable. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's why I mention it in our services, or try to unless I forget. Uh, but uh, you know the drill. So in silent prayer, you cite your sin to God. You name it. That's one that you took care of on the cross back there. And all I've got to do uh, to be in fellowship is to Cite it to God silently, and now God the Holy Spirit will teach you. I only present, and God the Holy Spirit does the teaching. So with that said, uh, let's see what we can find out about what God has to say as far as uh, Father's Day is concerned. Since it is Father's Day, and on May the 6th we covered Mother's Day. So I'm trying to put the two together, and... uh See what we can learn is the duty of the Father. So let's see what we've got here. So you have a lesson plan in front of you, I'm sure. If not, you can certainly get one on the Internet. So today, gentlemen, today is a day of examination. A day when men must answer the following question. Given the wife has a special role dictated in the Scripture... Are you making it possible for her to fulfill that role? So we're going to tie the two together since we have had our Mother's Day lesson and I felt like it was important for men to know uh, that they have a, a, a job and that job is to facilitate the wife's fulfillment of her role. All right, without the required respect and appreciation of her tasks, it will be near impossible for her to function as God has prescribed. So the role of the father assigned by God is to initiate the pursuit of spirituality. The active word is initiate. The active word for the wife is respond. The man should always be an initiator. And the wife should be a responder. So it's important for the man to understand that. And uh, much of this morning's teaching is based on the difficult task assigned to the ladies and the necessity of the man to love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So the pronoun there for that last for her, of course, is... The church. The Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for her. Just as the man uh, should uh, love her as Christ loved the church. And I like to point out that the church at the time that Christ gave himself for the church, the church was not pleasing. The church is the universal church here. Not talking about the church as we know it in this building. But uh, the universal church of all the believers... And uh, Christ loved that church, even though that church was what? Sinful. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, since the church then wasn't lovely, if you will, uh, at the time that Christ took care of the sin problem, uh, the man has the responsibility, whether she's pleasing or not, to love her. You know, Camelot has a line uh, when he's wondering, what what did Merlin teach me? You know, and uh, was it to do this and was it to do that? And then he finally comes to the conclusion, no, I remember now, Merlin. And he, he was to love her, love her, love her. And that's what men should do. And need to be polished about that. Whether she is pleasing or not, it doesn't matter, gentlemen. We are to love the wife as Christ loved the church. And, of course, uh, that's the job. So much of this morning's teaching is based on the difficult task assigned, first of all, to the ladies, and the necessity of the man to love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. All right, let's review the role of the woman, much of which we studied on May the 6th on Mother's Day. But uh, a brief review, uh, because uh, the man uh, has to know what did God expect from the woman. All right, we studied First Timothy 2.11, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. Now, Paul is still dealing with the context of women in the local assembly like we're here today. The silence here has to do with maintaining quiet in the assembly and does not permit a woman to take an active part in the work of the church in her own sphere and under the limitations imposed upon her in these contextual passages. Paul in the preceding verse is not against braided hair, gold, pearls, or expensive clothing. It is clearly a principle that is being communicated. A lady with Bible doctrine in her soul will display ordered and attractive apparel, and such display will not be a product of outward appearance, but of metabolized doctrine in the soul. And if, uh, as uh, uh, as I hope is the case in every marriage, if the wife indeed is that lady who has Bible doctrine in her soul, who has metabolized doctrine, uh, then uh, the man is very, very, very fortunate. All right, so Kenneth Wiest, great Bible teacher that he was, has the following to say of the silence of women as described in 1 Timothy 2.11, which we just read. He says, This admonition to the effect that women are to learn in silence with all subjection is made clear as to its meaning in 1 Corinthians 14.34 and 35, where the women were disturbing the church service by asking her hus- their husbands questions, presumably, presumably about that which was being preached. The silence here in 1 Timothy 2.11 has to do with maintaining quiet in the assembly. And I think most people know that. I know you all do, and you do an excellent job of maintaining quiet while I'm teaching and while Ken is leading the singing, etc., I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 14.34, though we read it when we taught, of course, on Mother's Day. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, 
they are to be commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. In other words, Paul says, I find that also in the Old Testament, when he says, as does also the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. So men need to have their ears perked up at this particular point in time, because as we're going to see, uh, how many men know about Bible doctrine, have metabolized Bible doctrine, and thus able to answer questions from their wife. And when we say metabolized doctrine, I'm going to tell you one, one more time, if you will. That's a themeism. Colonel R.B. theme developed that metabolized doctrine. It's an excellent teaching aid. He says, as you eat food, you come, you know, you hear the dinner bell, clang, 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 clang. Well, you come to sit down at the table. Uh, and then you, of course, put the food in your mouth, you chew the food up, and then you swallow. And then the grace of God has provided the epiglottis, which is going to make a move. It's going to send it down the esophagus as opposed to uh, the trachea, uh, where it's going to be used. It's going to go throughout your entire body, and it's going to be used. The same is true of doctrine. Because the epiglottis, you don't have to say to the epiglottis after you have put the food in your mouth, chewed it, and swallowed it, Hey, Epiglottis, be sure you put it in the trachea. No, 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 don't do that. Put it in the esophagus, you know. You don't have to do that. It's grace. It sends it down to to the proper place to get in the stomach, to get in the blood, to then be useful. And so it's an excellent, excellent analogy because you come in, you sit down, you name your sin back to God, and then uh, you receive Bible doctrine, and then the Holy Spirit will teach you what you need. And I dare say it may not be what the person next to you needs. But indeed, it will teach each and every one of you what you need. God the Holy Spirit. So there are, <coughs> excuse me, there are three considerations hidden from many who have exegeted these passages. What are they? First of all, how many husbands can answer questions about the scriptures? How often do husbands and wives discuss the scriptures? How many husbands and wives recognize the importance of being occupied with Christ? In other words, you have taken in the Word of God, you have received the Word of God, and now you are able to think about situations that come up in your life, situations that come up in your marriage, situations that come up in all aspects of your life as God would have you because you're occupied with Christ because you're taking in the Word of God regularly. And then lastly, how many husbands and wives recognize this as being important? All right. Before we leave this passage, let me leave you with an Old Testament exhortation for the family. And as I said uh, last week, not last week, on May the 6th when I talked to the... uh, a Mother's Day lesson. I said, this is one of my favorites. One of my favorites. It's in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 6, 7. 6, 6 and 6, 7. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Moses, of course, writing about uh, what he would have for the Israel to do and members of the families in Israel. And these words, 
which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. In other words, thy right lobe. Ready to be used. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. And when thou walkest by the way. And when thou liest down. And when thou risest up. I don't know about you men, all of you men, but uh, when I first got married, I had no idea about something like this. I had no idea. Of course, we went to church because my sweetheart was, uh, she was a churchgoer. Now, I wasn't much of a churchgoer. I was a Methodist. But uh, we went every once in a while. But she was assembly of God, so she went, pardon the expression, religiously. And... Uh, so uh, we went to church, but I didn't know what I was supposed to do or what I was supposed to say. So the question, men, do you spend time with your wife and children discussing the scriptures? If we do that, we make obedience to God's protocol much easier for the wife to learn in quiet submission and also for the children to learn. So uh, now let's see what we can learn from 1 Timothy 2.12. Alright, the New International Version has translated, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. And we've learned what that meant. We had an entire lesson on that. And then it says, but I suffer not. We had da, uk, epi, trepo. Better translated, I do not permit or allow. The, as we have seen, is used as a connective, uh, and it continues the thought uh, of verse 11. Verse 11, recall, was translated, it is important that the woman learn in silence with proper respect and good manners. Alright, epitrepouk, according to Zondervan's analytical Greek lexicon, means to not give over, uh, to not allow, or to not permit. And then it says a woman to teach. And that's gune, which is a word for woman. Didasko means to teach. Uh, and it's parsed as a present active infinitive. means you got to keep on doing it. Active voice, you got to produce the action of the verb. And the infinitive means its purpose. So gune appears more than 100 times in New Testament, where in the KJV is translated woman, women, wife, and wives. Bruce, let the lady in at the back so she can go in and out if she has has a reason to. She's coming right now. All right, here we go. Gune appears more than 100 times in the New Testament, where in the KJV it is translated woman, women, wife, and wives. All right. And then, of course, didasko is the common Greek word for teaching. Women then must be careful to understand they are on thin ice when teaching. Clearly women are never to teach men. We find in Scripture only one exception to the prohibition against women teaching in the local church. And you can find that as we saw when we taught on Mother's Day. Titus 2, 3, and 4 and verse 5. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanders or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and 
pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. In other words, the family should be a basic unit that witnesses in this the devil's world. Now let's see how our verse looks by way of expanded translation. 2.11 is important that the women learn in silence with proper respect and good manners. And she must not be allowed to teach. Now let's take a look at the phrase, nor to usurp authority over the man. We have the strong negative adverb, ude. And then we have atheneo, on air. Better translated or to have authority over a man. Ude is a negative conjunctive adverb followed by the verb atheneo, parse as a present active infinitive, present tense continuous action, active voice of subject produces the action of the verb, and the infinitive always means purpose. So ude is translated nor or neither. Again, atheneo is what we call a hapax legomena, and it only appears one time in scripture, and that's here. And according to Zondervan, uh, means to act by oneself, to act by one's own power or authority, to execute with one's own hand, to have authority over or to dominate. But instead, Allah, that's the strongest of the adversative conjunctions, it means uh, most certainly. In other words, uh, duh means but, Allah means but most certainly. I'm either to be verb, then you have the preposition in, and then hesekia, Better translated, but most certainly, she is to be silent. That's in the local assembly. Allah is an adversive conjunction followed by the verb imi, parses a present active indicative in the prepositional phrase in hesekua, where in, again, preposition hesekua, the noun and object. All right, I remember, uh, I think I've told you this analogy once before. Uh, I had one of the little women, if you will, in my family. Uh, my daughter, when she was young, I'm not real sure how young she was. Tommy may remember that, but it, uh, it, she was able to stand up on the in the back seat with her head over the uh, <clears throat> the front seat. And she asked me a question because it's something the pastor had said. The pastor had said in service, and I was glad to see she was listening. Uh, that uh, uh, at he made the statement that there was no such thing as a secret disciple. And uh, she asked the question, Daddy, is there no such thing as a secret disciple? And uh, I said, Honey, there is such thing as a secret disciple. In fact, if you remember, maybe you will, maybe you won't, but I'm going to tell you. Uh, who was it? Nicodemus and, of course, uh, Joseph of Arimathea went to see Pontius Pilate to get the body of Jesus. And both of them were said to be secret disciples. In other words, they had uh, uh, had not come out yet. And uh, they were not known to be Christians. And so, yes, there are secret disciples. Many of us have been secret disciples for years. In other words, we never told anybody that we're Christians. We never had opportunity. Not that you have to go out there and go into the mall like I used to do or go knock on doors. They come to the door, you know, and I'd say, you know, any reason now? Well, you know, any reason why you shouldn't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ right now? Uh, you know, and then I'd say, uh, give them the plan of salvation. So I learned in Scripture that that's not right, you know. 
what we ought to do is wait for an answer. In other words, the scripture says, be ready to give an answer to anyone who asketh you anything concerning the hope that is in you. And that hope is, of course, faith alone in Christ alone. So we kind of need to back off a little bit, but I did get a lot of notches on my belt uh, from uh, going... Uh, all throughout the hills out there down Common Fourth Road and past the little grocery store, all those places that aren't out there anymore. And uh, uh, maybe the grocery store's <laughs> out there, but not on Common Fourth Road. But uh, the uh, uh, point being, uh, sometimes we just get a little exuberant about things. And our job is to just take in the Word of God. Now, if you take in the Word of God, take in the Word of God. Excuse me, I'm in trouble this morning. <clears throat> Take in the Word of God, you will find God leading you to people. And uh, when He does, and if He does, uh, you uh, tell them, you know, I'm a born again Christian. And would you like to join me? You know, I always reminded of the, one of the legions in, in Rome, uh, and, and also it was followed up by the British. Uh, they used to, before they went into battle, the British in particular, the commanding officer before he would give the, hold the sword in the air and, you know, in essence they charge, you know. Instead, the English would say, won't you join me? Won't you join me? And then they would march in line, uh, and, uh, move to the foe, if you will. Alright, now let's see how our sentence looks by way of an expanded translation. 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, it is important that the woman learn in silence with proper respect and good manners, and she must be allowed to teach or to have authority over men, but to serve in silence. And this is one of the things that the man should certainly know as the husband. And uh, Paul is still dealing in this context, by the way, uh, women in the local assembly. We need to continue to understand that. Alright, Paul therefore is saying here that I do not permit a woman to be a teacher in the sense of the gift of pastor teacher or its associated authority. So the reason uh, for the above position is found in the original order of the creation and circumstances of the fall of man. So Weist again writes about Second Timothy, First Timothy, excuse me, chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, quote, The prohibition to teach does not include the teaching of classes of women, Girls are children, but it does prohibit the woman from being a pastor teacher. A woman must not teach a mixed class of adults. And, of course, uh, that uh, is something that uh, is certainly permissible and recommended. I know Tommy uh, taught a class out there of uh, University of Texas uh, of, of girls in a sorority class. And uh, I always tell the story about... Uh, what one of the girls said, you know, because she taught a particular verse that said you should not marry an unbeliever. And, of course, the Scripture makes that clear. Do not marry an unbeliever. And uh, uh, didn't go over very well because the next week, one of the girls came over and asked her, where else in Scripture does it say that you should not marry an unbeliever? And Tom and I often joke about that and say she must have found a real hunk. And uh, she was, uh, maybe there's another one, you know, that then I can do it if it's two of them. But with one, no. But uh, she handled it well, I'm sure. My wife, that is. All right, uh, Paul, therefore, is saying that 
here that I do not permit a woman to be a teacher in the sense of one with the gift of pastor teacher. All right, so Woos writes further in 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 12 about it. He says the, prohibit, the prohibition to teach does not include the teaching of classes of women, girls, or children, but it does prohibit the woman from being a pastor teacher. All right, Vincent has written, and I underlined children there because I wanted to remind myself that uh, men on Father's Day, you also have to understand that you are responsible for the children. You are responsible for making a coordinated uh, front to the children. You are to understand that Ephesians chapter 6 has information about the children, and you should know what that has to say. And uh, the two of you must, uh, you as the husband and the, of course, the, the, the lady as the wife, uh, need to have a coordinated front. And I also use the analogy sometimes and tell the story about how my daughter, when she got to be a teenager, wanted to do something. And, and Tommy had said, no, you can't do that, you know. And so she came to me and asked me. And I said, well, what did your mother say? She said, no, I couldn't do it. I said, well, then you can't do it. And uh, she then began to cry and say, you always take her side against me. And I said, you darn right, because that's what the Scripture says. You know, we should be a coordinated front here. And uh, we should uh, recognize that, that uh, we are together to be, uh, of course, uh, you might say, uh, I'm president and she's chairman of the board. All right, let's go on. So Vincent has written of the expression usurp authority. This is not a correct translation of the Greek word. It is rather to exercise dominion over in the sphere of doctrinal disputes or questions or interpretation. With authoritative pronouncements, they are to be made. All right, now back to our original question, men. Men, are we up to the task? Well, the only way we can be up to the formidable task is to start displaying a positive volition to the Word. The Scriptures clearly teach that metabolized doctrine is the only source of our being, the husband and father God would have us to be. Never forget, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. All right, let's begin by examining the specifics of the wife's near impossible role as wife and mother and the husband's need to be the leader of the family. And we have a doctrine called the doctrine of the right man, right woman. And uh, again, I... uh, and use, I'm going to use the analogy again because I think it's, uh, well, it's humorous. Uh, and occasionally I need to be humorous. But uh, I was going to be, I was uh, marrying a black man and a white woman. And uh, as usual is the case uh, in all marriages that uh, I have a little session with the two of them to go over what the Bible has to say about marriage. And so there was the black man here and there was the white woman here. And uh, 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 in talking, I said uh, to the black man, you really need to get familiar with the doctrine of right man, right woman. And what he heard was white man and white woman. (laughs) Excuse me. And uh, he immediately, you know, 
looked like, uh-oh. And uh, I started to duck. But the point being, and she quickly intervened and said, I'm not going to call his name, but uh, so-and-so. He didn't say, <laughs> you know, white man, white woman. He said, right man, right woman. And, uh, of course, we were able to cover that. But uh, we're going to look quickly at a few points on right Right man, right woman. Here we go. In First Timothy 2.11, Paul is dealing with the context of women in the local assembly. How should the head of the family relate to the woman given her marching orders? First Timothy 2.11, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. There are three considerations hidden from many who have exegeted these passages. That is to say, how many husbands, as indicated earlier, can answer the questions about the scriptures? How often do husbands discuss the scriptures with their families? How many husbands recognize the importance of not just discussing the scriptures with the wife, but soliciting her thinking regarding the scriptures? And as I've said before on several occasions, uh, men have a problem here. Men don't seem to want to talk nearly as much as women do. And uh, it's important for a man to spend the time talking with their right woman. Finding out what she is thinking. Finding out uh, uh, what she's not thinking. So it's important uh, and should be stressed uh, as a natural order of things. Communication. So before we leave this passage, let me again leave you with my favorite Old Testament exhortation. And I know I'm repeating. And there's nothing wrong with repetition. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 28, verses 9, 10, and 11, it says, line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept. You know, I went over all these things with you, Israel, but you didn't learn. You didn't learn. So in any case, repetition is okay. So here we go. And these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them. When thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. All right, question. Men, do you spend time with your wife and children discussing the scriptures? If you do, you make obedience to God's protocol much easier. All right, the term right man, right woman refers to two souls prepared in eternity past, uniquely designed to come together in time as husband and wife. Genesis 2.18, and then we'll drop down to verse 24. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. From Genesis 1.27 compared to Genesis 2.24, we can safely conclude that the souls of the right man Right woman were created in eternity past concurrently. Though created in eternity past, they are to become one in time. Perfect souls housed in perfect bodies designed one for another. Alright, it is God's desire that the right man and right woman come together in marriage. There is a Greek word for marriage. And it is in the New Testament. And it's gamos. And I know a lot of people say, well, it's not necessary to be married. But of course, it is according to the scripture. Marriage. And it is a civil ceremony, by the way. 
There are those who have married someone other than the right man, right woman. And when this occurs, God's protocol demands you take in the word and enjoy the mistake. And again, I'm going to use the themeism here. Colonel Theme said one on a tape that I happen to be listening to. Uh, he said he regretted the day he taught right man, right woman in his church because he said after he had taught that, most of the congregation seems to think they have the wrong man and the wrong woman, you know. And divorces sprouted all over the church, you know. So uh, I point that out to you uh, to uh, take under consideration, if you will. All right, if you are married, as far as the Scripture is concerned, you have your spouse. Your job is to acquire the skills, and that comes from Bible doctrine in the soul, to enjoy him or her. Even if you think you have missed the boat, the Bible tells you to row a little faster, uh, you can still reach the port of conjugal happiness or bliss, I might say. All right, the Scripture has so many or so much to say concerning right man and the right woman, we must therefore consider it a most important gift. One such example from Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, and we'll read through verse 28. Wives, submit to your husbands as under the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, and here we go, men, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So God has blessed planet earth with woman. God created the first woman as a perfect completer of the first man. Man had a need for the woman even in perfection. God built her soul and body to perfectly fulfill his needs. Man is incomplete without the right woman. Genesis 2, 19 and 20. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground of all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all livestock, the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no substitute helper, excuse me, suitable helper was found. So God provided an essential helper for man in order to complete him, be he unbeliever or believer. Even the unbeliever, believe it or not, can enjoy the right man, right woman relationship. Notice what Ecclesiastes has to say. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days, for this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. So again, the life is meaningless for the unbeliever, but he can still enjoy life with his wife. 
All right, as a result of the fall, the woman received three curses. One such curse was the desire to love and to obey the husband. Men must recognize this curse. It can be either a wonderful blessing to man or a terrible curse. Unfortunately, young men are often so insecure, they squelch this God-given desire. The physical curse, of course, is well known and needs needs a little explanation. Uh, Notice Genesis 3.16. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So her desire is for the husband. And you see this quite often. The wife is holding on to her husband's arm. This is in when they've just been married, you know, and uh, just paying attention to him all the time. And uh, it just kind of bothers him in public, you know. So he kind of pushes this away, you know, and squelches it. And he shouldn't do that. That's a God-given gift. And men need to know that. But how are they going to know that? they got to come to church <laughs> and find it out. And most pastors don't touch this kind of stuff, you know. They just don't touch it. And uh, it's important for all of us to understand that if it's in the Scripture, preacher, you need to preach it. All right. The pattern of right man, right woman was established in Genesis 2, 21 through 23. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on upon Adam. And he slept. And he took one of his ribs. And the word there, teselem, in the Hebrew, and it means a supporting timber. So important. A supporting timber used to support a building. And close up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib, in this case, a support for man, which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Ish-ah. Ish means Man, ah uh, means out of in the Hebrew because she was taken out of man. Now her name will change after the fall, of course. She'll become Kuva. And then later on in the New Testament, she'll be called Gune. But uh, here she's Isha. All right, so the soul and body of the right man and right woman were made compatible and designed for proper functioning in time, but only after proper transformation from doctrine resident in the soul. And that comes from showing up when Bible doctrine is taught, wherever that might be. All right, Romans 12, 2. Be you not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of the mind that you may know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, of course, in Christ Jesus. All right, uh, their souls are compatible and complement one another in their likes and dislikes, affinities, differences, etc. Only doctrine cycled by the right man, right woman will bring these propensities into harmony. Sex with someone other than the right man, right woman is less than the best and an abomination to God. Notice Proverbs 6.32. But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding... He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. 1 Corinthians 6, 16, 17, and 18. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? 
For two saith, he shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. And we do have a doctrine called the Doctrine of the Phalic Cult that you can find, of course, is one of our study books on the Internet. So a man must look upon his wife as the weaker vessel, much like a daughter given to him for his protection, but always recognizing her volition. Pat Boone was quoted as saying, I always carry a picture of my wife as a cute little girl. Such a device seemingly provides a nice reminder of the right man's responsibility to nurture and protect her. All right, First Peter 3, 7, Husbands, in the same way be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So it's important to you be one in all that you do. Otherwise, your prayers are hindered. So keep that in mind, those of you who are married and you've had a little, you know, a little fuss or something. Uh, you're just like uh, you were on the phone and you were talking to God. You had a fuss. Somebody cut it off. No longer are you talking to God until you resolve that very, very important uh, situ- situation. All right, marriage is a formidable task, and so the right man, right woman must know a great deal about one another. That's what communication does. So things the right man, right woman should know. To find a right woman is a precious gift from the Lord. Proverbs 18.22, He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. To find your right man, right woman, you must be in the Word, growing spiritually. The husband is to love the wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. For the husband to love the like Christ loved the church and for the woman to be obedient as was Sarah to Abraham, calling him Lord is unique and yes, impossible apart from a major transformation of the mind. So notice how Peter describes this complex relationship. First Peter 3, 1, reading through verse 5. Alright, wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. I find that to be such a powerful, powerful singular scripture, the first verse. How are you going to get your husband to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you going to nag him? Are you going to uh, tell him he needs to be in church? No, it says, I'll read it again for you. It tells you how to do it. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without the words by the behavior of the wife. So when they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes, though there's nothing wrong with that. Instead, it should be of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. 
they were submissive to their own husbands. And we're going to stop right there. And I want you to, if you will, bow your head and and close your eyes if you feel that's appropriate. Uh, But pray, if you will, that what I'm about to do with the invitation will have full effect. Because that's exactly what the Scripture says uh, needs to happen. Because I'm not going to say anything up here that's going to cause anybody to do anything. But I know what will do that, and that's the Scripture. It starts off, of course, by saying all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Jesus came unto his own Israel, but his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them who believe on His name. So right where you are, whatever you might be doing, you can tell God the Father, I am believing on God the Son, and on the promise of the Word you will be saved. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And remember our old faithful, for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent His Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth upon Him. Now I'm going to give... A brief moment of silence for you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ if you haven't done that. No matter where you are, be you listening on the internet, be you listening on the podcast, be you here, whatever the case may be. And then I'm going to close with our benediction. Father, we are grateful for the privilege of being able to study your word Now I would ask that God the Holy Spirit would take that which I have presented, make it real, in order that we might grow in your wonderful grace and become more like our Lord and Savior, even Jesus the Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen.